Hello and welcome to My Roots Are Showing, the podcast series in which I chat to interesting people about their lives, their work, and the elements that have made them who they are today. Well, this is the week where we close off 2018 and get into 2019. And I doubt I'm the only one thinking, thank Christ for that. As this podcast goes out, Brexit, no surprise, is in a tailspin. HMV is going into administration, it seems, again. And nobody talks to each other anymore because we're all on our phones all the time, tweeting, Instagramming and texting ourselves into a kind of frenzy. I was walking through Dublin the other day and all I could see were these Christmas shoppers who had their feet on Grafton Street, sure enough, but their beaks were planted firmly in their phones. I'm guilty of it too. I cut loose from people's conversations to click onto Twitter. If one person picks up their phone at a dinner table or in the pub, I take it as immediate permission to pick up my own phone. And it's true. Mostly I love social media. I love the engagement. I love maybe getting a tweet that becomes popular, that's liked or it's retweeted. But I don't know about you, but lately I've noticed that Twitter seems to become more and more aggressive more angry, more combative, meaner, basically. Lots of us in 2018 have experienced being trolled. There was a new survey conducted uh, recently by Amnesty, and they found that female politicians and journalists are the most badly affected in this regard, with 1.1 million abusive or problematic tweets sent to them on Twitter last year, an average of one every 30 seconds. And I think that even if you're not being trolled, The likes of Twitter, Instagram, Facebook are all having this strange cumulative effect on us. The whole social media game is adding, I think, to a generalized sense of anxiety. It's to do with our feeling that we're always on. We never really get a break. Our phones are next to our beds. We are on social media last thing at night and first thing in the morning. And maybe in years to come we'll realise that none of this was a great idea. I don't usually make New Year's resolutions, but for 2019 I'm going to make an exception. And my resolution is to use social media wisely and not constantly. And uh, with that in mind, actually, I want to mention a description on Twitter that made me laugh recently. It was from the tweeter at Death by Rosemary, and she's written as her biog description. And I quote, if you're deciding between scrolling through Twitter or taking a shower, you will never regret taking a shower. Those, my friends, are words to live by. All right, let's get to our interview. I meet the Irish actor Donald Gleeson and the Irish director Lenny Abramson, who've joined forces once again for the new film The Little Stranger. The Little Stranger is the adaptation of the brilliant novel by Sarah Waters and it is the very creepy and unsettling story of a doctor 
Dr. Faraday, played by Donald Gleeson, who journeys to Hundreds Hall in post-war rural Warwickshire to treat a patient. Dr. Faraday, it turns out, has been in this grand house before as a child, and he's still drawn to it, and the house, it transpires, has a strangeness that seems to haunt them all. The DVD version of The Little Stranger is set for release in mid-January. In this episode, we talk about the new film, as well as uh, Lenny's previous experiences on his films, which include Room, uh, Garage, Adam and Paul, and so many more. We also talk about Donald Gleeson's work on, well, we couldn't not talk about it, Star Wars. And we also talk about his many media experiences, including that time he appeared on The Late Late Show and was surprised by his uh, former school teacher. Also, speaking of my roots are showing, my hair inexplicably gets something of a starring role in this podcast, more of which later. But now to Lenny and Donal. The first time I saw Hundreds Hall was July 1919. Nothing could have prepared me for the spell it cast. When I saw the house again 30 years later, I could hardly comprehend the change in the place. Lenny Abramson, Donald Gleeson, Great to see you. Congratulations on the new film, The Little Stranger. Thanks very much. Uh, You know, very nice to be here and very nice to be bringing the film out, I have to say. Uh, Donald, one of the things about The Little Stranger straight away was I read that book back in, what, 2009 when it came out, the Sarah Waters novel. Absolutely loved it. But it's weird. It's a weird, atmospheric, creepy um, affair and you don't exactly know... It's a bit like the turn of the screw. You don't really know what's happening all the time. You've described it as Downton Abbey's weird cousin, I think. Um, so is that what you want people to get from it? Is that how, I guess, the poster should be and, and people going in should feel about it? I'm not sure. If, I, I think that was more about trying to set up the world of it in terms of describing it for American audiences. I think probably over here we're a little bit more au fait with what, Great Britain was immediately after the war about the kind of the the problems with class and uh, all of that, which is just a little bit more complicated than people in America might be aware of. You know, I think in terms of the film generally, we're talking about it as just as as a drama for grown-ups basically, which as it goes through the film starts to have these this feeling of unease and and the supernatural perhaps beginning to creep in. But I think first and foremost, it's a a drama about people who are beginning to fall apart and hold themselves together, which I think is interesting territory. You play Dr. Faraday. Can you tell me a little bit about him? Yeah, uh, Dr. Faraday, he grew up uh, kind of more working class. His parents used to work in the big house, basically equivalent. His, His mother used to be a maid there, and so he grew up looking at it as uh, being very aspirational and uh, wishing that he was of that world. Um, and that's something which is impossible. He he could earn all the money in the world and he will never be of that world. Uh, he could live in the house and never be of that house. And so the hole that is kind of in his heart cannot be filled. Uh, and yet then he starts to get to know the family and care for the family. And so there are these exciting possibilities thrown up. Um, uh, but things are kind of not as simple as they appear. And Lenny, it's the late 1940s. There must have been a lot of joy, but also a lot of difficulty in trying to get both the feeling of that era, but also the language and the costumes and the setting. And most of it is set in this amazing house. Uh, Tell me a little bit about how you happened upon it. 
Well, it's harder and harder to find places like the house we used in Britain that where you can film and which are of that period because a lot of them are being sold for development and you know turned into hotels and things like that. And and the really really grand houses um, you can film in, but you can't touch. You know, you can't put a nail in the wall or take a carpet out or anything like that. So we're, so we were lucky. We worked with a brilliant designer called Simon Elliott, who kind of has a great knowledge of the housing, the great houses of Britain. And um, he pointed us, we'd looked at many, many places, but he pointed us to this house called Langleybury outside London, which became our base and our focus for most of the filming, apart from some of uh, some big uh, wide shots from um, of, of a house in better repair up in Yorkshire. So yeah, it, it, it is a challenge. It's the first time I've done a period film. So I'm always used to filming in a way where you have a certain amount of flexibility. You can, if you're looking in that direction, well, you can probably turn around and more or less look in the other direction. But when everything in the frame has to be right, um, it, it, you work in a different way. Um, the great thing about being in the house for such a long part of the shoot was that we, we had the capacity to really transform the interior of the house in, in a lot of rooms and spaces. And it meant that we could work quite fluidly and flexibly inside the house um, because everything was dressed and ready. Um, and that was, that was great. That was, and I did feel, I mean, there were some of the days filming, particularly that I've talked about before, but there's a, a big cocktail party scene uh, where they have kind of a bunch of fuddy-duddy local gentry guests over to the house. And we filmed that over a few days, and I really did feel like it's as close as I'll ever get to knowing what it would have felt like to be around in that period and with those people. Mm. That was just me making that noise. Mm. I've just realized, I, I feel bad for you because I've put this microphone close to your mouth, and I actually just looked at it and realized it looks like I've molten on it. There are hairs everywhere, I, I so I do apologize. <laughs> <laughs> I'm actually just going to, going to defuzz yeah, it right I, I, I now. Don't know. I don't mind saying it, that's, that's disgusting. <laughs> I'd like to take this opportunity right now to apologize. There's still so to many others. I don't, yeah, it's I don't know. Yeah. Oh, no. Long help. There we yeah, go. go. Yeah, there we go. Oh, my God. Um, okay, to get back on topic, um, did you find the house genuinely creepy? Um, not really, uh, because... I think the atmosphere of the film... The, some, you know, there were times when we were shooting... Um, at night or you know where we were in it for it, I, I found it quite it, it could get quite oppressive because I think that can happen actually when you're filming in, on location anyway because you it is a very intense like work environment and, and there's a lot going on and it gets hot and it's lit and, and all that and I did feel I mean it's funny I, what I haven't thought about since I've been doing interviews about it is I do have a very vivid feeling about the shoot, yeah. like left over from the shoot. You don't always have that because sometimes, I don't know, especially if you're shooting on a soundstage, you don't have that kind of, the same sense of reality about the place. But I do have a strong feeling for that house and the mood of it. And there's a somberness in the house actually, which is, which probably does stay with me. There's also the sadness which is there, which is of seeing a great place in disrepair, like a place which has not been cared for. That, that, that's the yeah. way that it was made up by Simon, you know? And yeah. uh, when you're surrounded by that all day long and when you're looking at people in period costumes, and if you're wearing period costume yourself, and that's the world you're in like five days a week for 12 hours a day, you're more there than in your real life. So yeah, it yeah. does start kind of infecting your dreams a little bit. 
I have started to wonder, though, with you, Lenny, um, if you deliberately want to take on projects that other people will immediately regard as problematic from a commercial perspective, like with Frank, for example, which obviously, Donald, you were also uh, starring in, you basically took a really big name actor, you know, Michael Fassbender, and said, why don't we get him in a head, yes. in a cartoon yeah. head, yeah. so nobody can recognize him? Yeah. And then with Room, you took a story, fair enough, an amazing, brilliantly told story by Emma Donoghue, but you took a story that almost everybody would have said they didn't actually want to see on the big screen yeah, because they right. were too worried yeah. that it would be too much yeah. for them to take. Yeah. And you said, no, we're going to put it on the big screen. Mm. And then that story became Oscar nominated. And of course, Brie Larson won for Best Actress sure. for that. But now with The Little Stranger, you've taken um, a, a book that essentially revels in ambiguity. Yes. And you said, let's bring that to the big screen. I love the fact that it does that. I love the way it's um, it's brought to us in it this really beautiful, uh, I think it's really worth seeing on the big screen because it's just a gorgeous looking film. But at the end of it, people will come out with different opinions. Mm -hmm. You won't get a, a direct take on what exactly mm -hmm. it all means. So do you actually want to drive your financial backers crazy? Um, <laughs> I, I want to make them... Uh, no, I should, say, I should be really careful now and say, no, I'm committed to delivering extra excellent value to the shareholders. <laughs> um, no, I mean, like you said yourself, Room ended up turning into a, you know, quite a big film. And, and a lot of people would have said, don't do yeah. it. I mean, the answer is you, never, you can never know. And plenty of people set out, so just on the commercial side of that question, plenty of people set out to make, hey, let's make a, a big commercial film that's going to make loads of money. How often does that work out? You know, nobody can. Nobody knows at the beginning what's going to happen. Um, it is big, big, big studios try and hedge their bets by um, putting vast campaigns behind things, and uh, or, or or there are you know there are existing properties that that people know will sort of generate a huge amount of interest. But even there, there's no guarantee. So, um, and then on the artistically, for me, I have to be deeply intrigued by the ideas in the piece and also I have to feel that there's some something hard to be done you know like like I wouldn't enjoy I think something that was immediately revealed to me you know uh, how to do it um, and in both both Room and The Little Stranger when I read the novels I remember thinking that I sort of had a sense of how you would go about it but at the same time recognizing that there's a big challenge and, and the interesting things are the things that, are, that fall between the, the obvious, um, uh, like, shapes, you know, and, and, and types of film. They are those ones where you think maybe there's still the possibility of surprising an audience with, with something that they can't already anticipate as they watch it. And obviously it's not a book, but it feels like, you know, like a, that kind of book club vibe where people will come out afterwards and they'll go to the pub and they'll discuss it. You know, Donald, from your perspective, like, do you know the answer to this film? Like, do you know who was really doing what, whether or not it was supernatural? In your own head, have you come to an idea as to what Sarah Waters in her original novel was hinting at and possibly alluding to as the answer to this question of the kind of the creepiness of the plot? Yeah, I, I mean, I think, I, you know, you can't make a film feeling ambiguous about it. You have to have your own point of view and you have to have your own certainties when you make something so that you can also play around with the other stuff. Otherwise, you would just be making a point all the time. So 
but you can't just go in and say, well, maybe he's this, maybe he's that, maybe they're this, maybe they're that. I think that I, I feel very certain about what I feel. But it's funny because as an actor, you can feel that. But then even in the edit, you know, choices that uh, Lenny and, and, and Nathan make together can make you go, oh, hang on, maybe it's this other thing. Uh, but by the end of the, by the final frame of the film, similarly to the final page of the script and the final page of the novel, I felt, oh, I, I understand what's been going on, and I've got a totally different perspective on what's been going on before. And that, to me, is really revealing. That's like, um, there's ambiguity, I guess, in a certain way, but no, it feels certain to me in the point it's trying to make, even if all the facts uh, aren't immediately yeah. certain. And um, speaking of taking unusual decisions, obviously the two of you have worked together before, mm. but you never really get to play an Irish person these days. You're always playing somebody from abroad. So, you know, you're taking on a British role uh, for a film set in the late 1940s. I mean, it really couldn't be further away from your own origins. Uh, do you always feel comfortable doing that? Or is there every time a little bit of a, a feeling of an immense challenge? There's always, it's what Lenny was saying earlier on, you, you want a challenge. For me, things like accent and those, they're not, it's not that that's a challenge that would make you want to do something, oh, I wonder if I can tackle this accent. It's the character. And if this character, if it had been possible to play this character with an Irish accent, we would have just played it with an Irish accent. But he is, I mean, by definition of his, of, of his place in the story, has to be of uh, their world and yet outside their world at the same time. And so we had to find an accent uh, that suited that but no I'm always up for uh, doing Irish and something I'm never looking to complicate things you oh, know so, well, I suppose your family had a huge history of the black in the black and tans right <laughs> <laughs> and that must have <laughs> that must yeah. have made you feel you know a little yeah. bit more connected uh, most certainly that was something that made me feel very that, much a part of the world that isn't true Thanks that is not Lenny. true that isn't true <laughs> 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 has your dad seen it? Um, my dad has uh, actually not seen it all finished, but um, when I was doing ADR, it's funny when you do like when you do when you replace um, uh, ADR. What does that stand for? Additional dialogue replacement, yeah, something, something like, like that. that yeah. uh, when you're doing that for a film, uh, you can actually make things better and tweak things. And I was going in with Lenny, and I watched it with my dad just to see if there was anything ideas he had about ways to kind of you know help the character or anything like that and uh, he was incredibly kind about it. I mean really really thrilled with it actually so that was really nice yeah yeah because at the start of your career you thought you were going to be more of a writer possibly director type than an actor so this is this entire trajectory of your career has come as a little bit of a surprise to you in certain respects everything about it is a surprise you know but like all it's funny I just find myself wanting to be around people like I think the fact that I was interested in writing and directing really makes me quite snobby in lots of ways about writers and directors you know um but oh so you're snobby about Lenny I'm I'm I'm, I'm de I definitely have a snobbiness about 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 the people I would like to work with if it's not know. a Trinity scholar I'm not <laughs> having it <laughs> exactly. no but what I mean is somebody like Lenny is like that's the dream you know I would if I, if I could go the rest of my life making films with uh, there's not many people like you know of Lenny's ilk about, but I mean you know with people of that standard, that's the dream. And so uh, yeah, it was very easy to go to work every day. Mm. Um, 
It seems like the actual filmmaking process is such a joy for you both, but then comes the interviews and the other part of the film industry, which is promoting the film. Uh, I most recently saw you actually on The Late Late Show uh, doing an interview uh, in terms oh, of interview context. Yeah, yeah, it was a while ago, but just in terms of actual televised interviews. Mm. And that interview caused a bit of a sensation uh, because Ryan Turbody brought out footage from a school play, I think it was Greece you were doing. Greece, like, yeah. did you actually know he was going to do that? didn't and I can say that very honestly he brought out the tape and I was like what is it? it's so funny it's also live so it's not even oh like pre-taped so just everything goes no no yeah. <laughs> oh no and what bit are they going to show and oh no. your face was like if you were acting it was the best acting I've ever seen no no that was not acting I'm trying to bring that level of uh, reality to my work ever since uh, no but it was great but I also hadn't seen Miss Kyo for a long time so it was kind of cool this is your teacher yeah my teacher. in the audience She's in the audience, oh, yeah. Amazing. And she came up on stage and I met her. I went out to see them rehearse their school play like a couple, few so weeks later. And uh, it was really amazing, you know. People, good teachers have a huge influence on your life. So like that was like, that was a kind of a really cool thing. Yeah, no, I think it was just really touching for everyone who watched it because I think everyone who would sort of be in that situation would relate to thinking, God, it must be pretty difficult to go on the Late Late Show and then see your school musical be put up before you. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, do are you guys both comfortable being in the public eye these days? Um, you know, most of the time, it, uh, you know, the great thing about living here is that people are actually pretty... Um, they don't care much and that's I don't know what you're talking about I've been stalking you (laughs) (laughs) you're the person who's been outside the house looking through the bins that's that with your van um no people are like you know and 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 also I'm not an actor so like unless they people do recognize the name sometimes I've been involved a bit recently in in some of the kind of campaigns around issues and um and again people tend to be pretty fine about that uh so no I don't mind it I'm not I found on the room uh, press tour which lasted for six months I mean that that was really quite hard because I don't think it's healthy to talk about yourself that much so but but in the general way most of the time I'm just working away on whatever it is that I'm working on and then there are these sort of short bursts of publicity so um, it's very life's very normal I think people are a bit more relaxed here generally. I mean, I have to confess, I've been doing interviewing for a long time and Donald, I do have your phone number um, from probably a decade back. And what it says in the actual list for my numbers is Donald Gleason, and then in brackets I have actor. Oh, I love it. <laughs> and now, and, and, now and now I find it like to be one of the funniest things going no, because because it was back when you really hadn't, mm. you know, become so famous and now you're in Star Wars and it's just like the most gas brackets. It's great. It's great. <laughs> uh, but speaking of Star Wars, like getting to that level where obviously you're playing General Hooks and you've talked a little bit about how you went and read the script or the screenplay the other day for the final installment in the sequel trilogy and you felt like that might have been a bit of a mistake because now you know all the answers. Uh, but like, what does it feel like to be part of such a major brand that has, has such an influence on so many people's lives? I mean, the way people feel about that trilogy, that world is incredible. I don't really know. I mean, it's fine. Like, I, I read the... I kind of made a joke about reading the script and wishing I hadn't because I, now I know all the things I'm worried I'm going to wake up 
kind of blabbing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let me tell you, like, <laughs> that sort of thing. But it, no, generally, it's like you, you want to make work that matters to people, you know? Like, the reason you make anything is to, is, is to, is to relate to people, is to try and tell a story to people. And, and uh, so it's great when people go and see it. A lot of people have seen Star Wars, you know? It's kind of cool. Do you think? Yeah, lots and lots of them, and that's amazing. That but it's no different. The, is it the one about the bloke who... Um, has a whip and a big hat. And <laughs> no, it's about the fellow with the blue sword. You know the, oh, the, the blue, blue yeah, sword. Yeah, 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 that's that one. Yeah, sorry, <laughs> totally different. That one. <laughs> that's the guy. Yeah, the fellow yeah. with asthma. Um, <laughs> um, so yeah, it, it's it's very, it's nice when people go and see stuff, you know. But uh, yeah, it's all it's all the same thing, really. It's all the same job. And do your family treat you exactly the same? Lenny, uh, Monica and the kids aren't uh, suddenly seeing you as in a new light? Are you, are you just, that, my God. <laughs> <laughs> I can hear my wife laughing from here and she's not even in the, she doesn't even, you know. Um, no, I am not treated, I'm not treated with, uh, no, I'm not waited on hands and foot at home. Um, and, and actually, I mean, to no, it's very, it is absolutely very uh, much like it's always been. And I think, like, Monica loves here, which I do too. And I don't think either of us would ever really want to live anywhere else. So, um, and, and our, all of it predates, you know, m- my life mostly is, is um, like, I'm just as much the, I mean, your job as a father, right, is to be the butt of jokes and kind of a bit of an idiot as far as your kids are concerned and I'd like to say that I perform those duties with great (laughs) diligence well that is absolutely fair enough listen I won't keep you both too much longer I did want to ask you just on a more serious note I think both of you are very politically aware very politically conscious Donald obviously you were brought up in a family that cares both about the arts but also about wider societal issues and your dad has been endlessly on programs like Say the Late Late Show and talking about those things, talking about whether it's direct provision or the homelessness crisis, he will speak about that. And Lenny, via your Twitter feed, you've also been incredibly um, political. Uh, So, like, you know you have a platform. So I suppose, you know, just with the last few minutes we have, like, what do you think are the topics in Ireland that we need to try to get more focus on and that I suppose that you feel that you can you can help support by virtue of the platform that you have? Well, it's a, it's a difficult one because you do, I mean, uh, on the one, you know, people get exercised about it as well and they say, oh God, you know, people who can be very critical of people in the arts getting, you know, getting, uh, you know, sort of waxing political. But I think, uh, I care about the same things that I would care about if I w- wasn't doing the job that I do, and when there were opportunities to do something constructive. So I spoke a bit around the the um, referendum recently, and 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 um, got involved. Ruth Coppinger asked me to speak at an event, which was really I found really powerful, and I'd like to keep doing some things um, that that I think might help. So for me, I think at the moment there are many issues. I mean. Uh, and some of them are are really complex and and very big and making general pronouncements about them doesn't do much good but I think there are some very specific things about which some campaigning can be really useful so for me it's around issues of separation of church and state in education and health that would be something that I would love to specifically get involved with. Leah Varadkar said that the majority of Irish people do not want separation of church and state recently he said that and I think he was going 
back from the census because people define themselves as Roman yeah. Catholic. But do you think he's wrong about that? Yeah, I think he's wrong about that. Um, I also think, um, I, I don't know how that question was put and I don't know how he could make that judgment. And I think maybe we also, it's about educating people about what a secular state can be, should be, what the state's responsibilities are, which are all, which is also the best way of guaranteeing religious freedom. You know, it, it's it's not taking a, a position on it from the state and allowing people to make those decisions themselves. I think people aren't happy if you ask them specific questions about um, school admissions policies. I think you'd get a very different answer, even from people who may identify as from one particular religious background. And then in healthcare, people want those decisions to be made, decisions within the health service to be made based on um, compassion and, and patient need and, and, not, and not to partake of a particular ideology. And also just logic. People want decisions made based around logic yeah, sure. as opposed to faith or spirituality. Sure. Uh, Dylan, from your perspective, I mean, you're obviously part of the younger generation and that younger generation in Ireland has been seen to be very disenfranchised. You know that they're being completely controlled by the deaths of a previous generation. So do you notice that in your friends? Because obviously you've got a lot of people in the acting community who haven't had some of the good breaks or whatever. So do, do you see that they're being forced to leave the country or even get out of the profession entirely? Um, that's not been my experience, but that doesn't mean that that isn't an experience that lots of people have. Um, I've my, Myself and my friends have been, you know, my friends who are actors are all doing very well at the moment. It so happens. Um, but yeah, it's like, you know, it's a... Uh, it's like anything else, just because it's not your immediate experience doesn't mean that it's not happening. I think paying attention to the wider story is more important than just looking around you and saying, well, it's like that here, so I assume it's like that everywhere else. So what would you like to see change in Ireland, or what would you love to see improve? <laughs> this is your Rosa Truly <laughs> question. I know, that's a really, I should have prepared uh, a statement on what I want, or how I want Ireland to improve. This is your Mr. Ireland. Yeah, I know, yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah, yeah, careful now. Um, if you could pick one topic, I can I mean, that's not something I can answer just off the top of my head. Damn. I mean, you do great stuff for the hospice movement, which is this, but you know, which yeah. is a, I suppose, uh, as much an a, an act of, you know, social engagement as you could possibly have. No, yeah, paying paying attention to the. Uh, to the way that people leave as well as the way that people arrive into the world I think is really important and obviously just funding generally for the hospice is it like is a full-time job for lots of people and they're struggling all the time uh, to maintain equality which is human uh, which I think is bamboozling uh, uh, in our society but there you go I think that's, that's the way it is at the moment but uh, anything we can do to change that obviously I'm very excited about all right, well, Don Gleeson, Lenny Abramson, thank you so much. The film is awesome. I absolutely loved it. So I, I hope it does really, really well for you. Thanks very much. See you soon. Nice to talk to you. Thank you. And my thanks once more to Lenny and Donal for that podcast of My Roots Are Showing with myself, Nadine O'Regan. To check out more shows, more podcasts, please do go to my SoundCloud page or indeed to get more updates, go to my Twitter page. They're all at Nadine O'Regan, N-A-D-I-N-E-O-R-E-G-A-N. Right, till next time, do take care.